Hello? I'm connected. I have a smartphone. I shouldn't. It's way smarter than I am. I thought I knew how to work microphones, but I guess not. Anyhow, welcome to the famous Feast of Tabernacles. What? Did I say something wrong? Are you? Hey, yeah, yeah, all right, all right. Wind it up. Remember the old telephones you had to wind? <laughs> okay, so maybe I said it wrong. Maybe the Feast of Tabernacles isn't famous, but it's going to be famous. All the Muslims are going to know about it, those who are alive after Jesus finishes with the Battle of Armageddon. They're all going to know about the Feast of Tabernacles. They may not like it. They may not come, but they will know about the Feast of Tabernacles. And in God's mind, the Feast of Tabernacles is famous right now. It's always been famous in God's mind. Okay, this is a test. We've got to run a few tests here. How many of you caught my first mistake? Anybody catch it? Anybody here from Missouri? <laughs> Notice the date on the handout. Okay, good. Moving right along. Okay. What are some other names we have for the Feast of Tabernacles? Okay, we have um, Feast of Booths. Now, just in case some of you out there have trouble with your eyesight, this is not a Budweiser cup. At first I saw this and I thought, oh, I can't drink out of that. It's a Budweiser, and it's not. It's a Freddy's. This is a Freddy's Hamburgers Cup. So, All right, so everybody's happy with that. Another name is Festival of Tents. You probably haven't heard that one. Oh, you might have heard it throughout your 40 or 50 years in the church. Okay, another one is Festival of Temporary Dwellings. Okay, some of you thought, yeah, I think I heard that before. Okay, another one, I like this one, is Worship King Jesus Festival. Hmm, there's a good one to tell your neighbors. Where are you going, you know? We're going to the Worship King Jesus Festival. It's like, wow, that, I, tell me more, I'm interested, okay. And another one is the Transition Festival, right? We'll explain that a little more as we go along. So how many of you here came expecting to rejoice? Two, three, four, five, six, okay, it's catching. It's catching, it's moving along, that's great. Okay, God is telling us to rejoice before Him. Deuteronomy 12, 12, and you will rejoice before the Lord your God, <coughs> you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants. How many of you brought male and female servants? Anybody? Yeah, that's kind of the old days. <laughs> you men who put your hands up, you're in trouble later. <coughs> okay, so, so, but notice, rejoice before the Lord. A lot of times we zoot right past that word before, and you are in God's presence, where two or three are gathered together in His name. He is here in the room. He is, however, He does that. And like I say, I can't run my smartphone, so I can't tell you how He does that, but He is here. Okay, the Father and the Son want us and want all godly families going into deep, deep, godly rejoicing this week. Not shallow godly rejoicing, deep godly rejoicing. Romans 5.11. But we also rejoice in God, writes Paul, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the more you know about Jesus Christ, the greater you should be rejoicing in God the Father. The closer your relationship with Jesus, the more you should rejoice and rejoice through whom we now have received the reconciliation. All right. God commands a second tithe to ensure that we have enough money to abundantly rejoice. A lot of people go, well, I, I can't afford to go. Yes, you can, if you did what he said. Because 10% of your annual income spent over eight days, nine days, 10 days, that is an immense increase in your buying ability, your spending ability. Deuteronomy 14, 26, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires. Okay, that's nice. He says you must save the money, but you can spend the money on what you desire. And, and I love this verse. Um, whatever your heart desires for oxen, sheep, and wine, and similar drink, whatever your heart desires, and you shall eat there before the Lord. 
So how many of you are going to eat at the feast this year? Anybody? Anybody going to eat? Oh, I thought some of you might fast the whole eight days. I mean, you liked fasting during atonement so much, I thought you'd just, hey, let's fast the whole eight days. Yeah. Okay, but when you eat, what are you going to be thinking? What is this? Right? No, you should be thinking, I'm here rejoicing and eating before God. So how many times do you think you're going to eat this feast? Don't tell me three times a day. I don't want to hear that. That's not going to happen. Right? Okay. So eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Now, heads of household, it's your job to make sure that everybody in your family rejoices. And, and please think about this. Those of you who have been baptized and have God's Holy Spirit, you are seeing and rejoicing at a deeper level than the others. The little, the young people, they are, they are physically rejoicing. At least I hope they are. You should be helping them physically rejoice. I see balloons in the room. I love that. Is this, is this, I don't know. Should we really rejoice or should we just, or should we just go through the motions like, yeah, it's a rejoicing festival. I mean, let's rejoice, right? It's about rejoicing. So in that verse we just read, it's like, if anybody goes to the feast thinking, oh, I don't, I don't think God wants me to rejoice. I, I think he just said that. No, he, <laughs> he wants us to rejoice, right? And so, so we've got to get out of our minds like, oh, I hate to spend this second tithe. No, spend it. Help your young people have a good time. Buy them balloons, take them all those good things that young people do, right? Because that's their rejoicing, right? When they come home from the feast, that was their rejoicing. And, and if you go, now, okay, Johnny, tell me all the spiritual rejoicing you did at the feast. <gasps> that's it, done, <laughs> right? So you've got to help them physically rejoice. And then as they're rejoicing and growing a little older and listening and catching a few of the messages and understanding, they're realizing where we are headed and where the Feast of Tabernacles is pointing us. God is saying, heads of household, you are responsible. Make sure when you leave this Feast of Tabernacles, you help the young people in your life and everybody in your life and all your household and all your male servants, all your female servants, you make sure they rejoiced before they leave the Feast. So we expect lots of physical rejoicing, but remember that spiritual rejoicing is far more important than spiritual, I mean, than physical rejoicing. And we're going to have a little more on that later. But God inspired Paul to show this great mystery, Colossians 2.16, regarding the festival, new moon, the Sabbaths. Verse 17, they are a shadow. What, what, what just blows my mind is that billions of Bible-reading people who read Colossians, they read Colossians 2.16, and they read Colossians 2.17. They cannot see this. It's right there in English. It's in Australian. It's in American. It's just there, right? It says, which are... Now, why is Paul teaching Gentiles coming into the church that festivals are a shadow of things to come? This must have been what I was thinking of when I put the date on the, on the handout. I must have been thinking of things to come, right? I must have been. I don't know what I was doing. But anyhow, so... Famous Feast of Tabernacles or Transition Festivals is where we are, is what it's going to be in the future. The greatest value from the feast keeping is that God is focusing our thinking on, on, I wonder what you're thinking right now. He's focusing our thinking on our personal days ahead. I was in the church 40 years until it dawned on me, instead of, oh, yes, uh, Feast of, uh, you know, Feast of Tabernacles, Zechariah, chapter 14, Jesus, uh, come to the feast in Jerusalem, worship the king. Uh, that's what it's pointing to, the, the God's kingdom on earth for a thousand years. That's what it's pointing to. It's pointing to, what, what, did, what did Paul say? A shadow of things to come. What are you most interested in? Your life. Your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives. That's what you're most interested in, right? So, is, is he not saying a shadow of things to come in your life? He is, if you think about it. What's going what's to come in your life in the next 10 weeks? 
in the next 10 years. How many of you think Jesus could be on this planet within 10 years? Anybody? One, two, three. Okay, great. Come to the Egypt Bible study. We're going to have a good time. All right. So the greatest value, like I say, is he focuses our minds on our days ahead. And you, there's a lot of people. You hear them talking. They are concerned about the direction of the United States of America. Where is it headed? And it seems to be all downhill. And uh, tabernacle's word in your Bible means tent, right? And <coughs> see, who translated the Bible for us? Sunday-keeping theologians. And so they went, okay, here's the tent word in the Bible. Tent word, okay. But this is God's tent, so let's call it the tabernacle, right? Young kids can't even say the word tabernacle. Try it out. Get them to say the word tabernacle, right? See how they come out on that. But, but it means covering, it means dwelling place, it means home. So when you go home, you go to your tabernacle, right? And we got, uh, somebody's hiding my notes. There we go, all right. All right, we've got in Hebrews, I got to the, the definition there, covering, dwelling place, home, tabernacle, tent. And so 345 times in the Old Testament, it says this word. Right? A lot of it is tabernacle. Most of it, no, wait, at least half of it is tent. Right? What's the definition of, of this word? It's a tent as clearly conspicuous from a distance. How many of you would recognize a tent from a long distance? You would recognize a tent, wouldn't you? Right? So this is not a palace, this is not a cathedral, this is not a, a fortress, this is, this is a tent. Okay? And, and do people want to live in, their, in a tent for the rest of their lives all the time? Not me. I tried that once up in Yellowstone. Woo! The wind came up and the blow, tent went down. No more living in tents for me. Anyhow, Paul shows us the main point about this festival in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. It says, For we know that our earthly house... Point to your earthly house for me. Just make sure you're tracking. There you go. Good. Okay, our earthly house, this tent... This tabernacle, this tent, this tabernacle, when it's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So when you get your new tent, your new tabernacle, your new home, your new body, it's going to be eternal, unlike the tent you have in your garage, which you probably ought to sell because you may not be using it anymore. I don't know. Okay. So... We've got to think in terms of transition, temporary. And, and, you know, is there any harm in explaining to people that you meet, your neighbors, your friends, your workmates, is there any harm in explaining to them beyond just saying, we're going to the Feast of Tabernacles, like they're suddenly going to understand what we just said, right? How many of you think they won't have a clue what we <laughs> right? It's like... You could have said, I was your handsome one. You know? Oh, yeah, really. That's not Australian, just in case you're looking, looking for translation for that. That's not Australian. That's, that's something that we made up as we went along here. Okay, so <coughs> we could tell our friends and neighbors, like I say, this is the Meet Jesus Festival. Is that, is that fair? Can we say that? Can we say that? We can, because he said, where two or three are gathered together, I see more than two or three here, in his name. Oh, are we in his name? Yeah, we're reading out of his book. We're in his name, right? He will be with it. So we're meeting him. It's just, you know, we're not actually seeing his face, right? We're meeting him, but when he comes down to planet Earth and he comes over to the Feast of Tabernacles, we will see him. No more Ian Hufton up here behind the wood. Right? We're going to have Jesus come out in front of thousands, who knows, millions and billions, and explain to everybody how it's going to work for the next thousand years. And, and uh, be, you know, he'd probably say, be nice to the Muslims. You know, those who did come, the first, the first one, you know, it's all right. They just have a little relearning too. We all had to do some relearning, right? They'll have to. And, and then those who don't come, you know, you can expect to see them next year looking kind of lean and skinny and hungry, you know. Uh, if they don't come next year, then they'll come the next year saying, a loaf of bread, a loaf of bread, I'm hungry, you know, because they'll have no rain, as it says in Zechariah 14. So we could also tell them that 
It's the Immortality Festival. There's a good name, isn't it? Right? Where are you going? You're going up to Branson? Yeah. What, what is all that? That we're going to the Immortality Festival. Well, shoot, maybe I ought to go too. <laughs> right? But that's what it's about. That's where we're going. Salvation is about the transition from mortal to immortal. 1 Corinthians 15. In Peter, 2 Peter 1.13. I think it right as long as I'm in this tent. What is Peter doing in a tent? He's saying in this temporary body tent to stir up you by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. Uh-oh. He's gonna, you know, he was gonna die. He's talking about I'm gonna die, put off this tent. So we're all here living temporary dwellings, learning about the transition process to immortality. That's pretty exciting. That's good stuff for deep spiritual rejoicing. King David writes in Psalm 15, one, he says, um, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? So we get to go, you know, we're gonna go live in God's tabernacle, his home, his dwelling place in his, in his uh, you know, in close proximity to God Almighty, God the Father and Jesus Christ, who will dwell on your holy hill, your, you know, in eternity, really, he's saying, and who can transition from mortal to immortality. That's what it's about. Verse 2, he who walks uprightly and does what God says and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And that's what we're here. We're going to look at scriptures. We're going to talk about it. Verse 3, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does he do evil with, uh, to his neighbor, and, and so we're going we're gonna to cover scriptures as we go along that cover these things. God wants us to learn great spiritual joy and rejoicing every step from here to eternity. And, and <clears throat> it could happen a lot faster than you think. Now, I know, I know, I heard that. I was there. I was there for all those sermons where it said it could happen a lot faster than you. Could be before next Feast of Tabernacles, right? It could be different. But anyhow, I heard all those for like 20, 30, 40 years. And, uh, and I converted very quickly after I read the book 1975 in Prophecy. And, and I went to college. And the first day of college, Herbert Armstrong said to the crowd, you probably won't graduate. And I said, I just left Australia to come to England. You mean I'm not going to graduate? What's going on here? I thought I was going to graduate. But anyhow, 1975 came and went. It's a very good year. I married a wonderful lady from Missouri. So it was a good year, but it wasn't the end, right? Okay, so festivals help us be mindful of what is happening to God's festival keepers. Now, it's not happening to other people yet. We hope when you go home from the festival, you'll mention it to other people, and it'll begin to happen to other people, and they'll come and keep festival, right? But, but this is where are the festival keepers going to be in three, five, seven, ten years from now. And I personally think by the time ten years is up, you know, first resurrection is history. Where we've been in Jerusalem for Feast of Tabernacles a couple of years already, maybe. Who knows? And it can happen fast. And and my proof for that is in Zechariah in uh, Ezekiel, whoop, I'll get the right book in a minute. <sighs> That's what happens when you get old. Okay, in Daniel, in Daniel eleven um, it talks about the first king of the north, then the second king of the north, and then the third king of the north. Well, the first king of the north does an incredible amount of interesting stuff. The second king of the north only exists for a few days. A few days. Then comes the third king of the north, and he is very obviously in the text. He is the beast power. So, how many days between the first king of the north and the third king of the north a few days. That's not very long. zippity doo -dah. So, you know, some people don't know where the first king of the north is. He's out there. All right, we'll talk about that later too. So festivals help us be mindful of what's happening to festival keepers. Zechariah 14 shows Christ's coming, shows the battle of Armageddon, shows the start of the glorious kingdom of God on earth. Fabulous chapter, one of my favorite chapters. When the last war is over, the nations are called to worship King Jesus at tabernacles. Then this festival will be famous. You will be hard-pressed to find anybody, even in the hills of Arkansas, even in Branson, Missouri. You will be hard-pressed to find anybody who is, doesn't, has not heard of the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Tents, 
Now, if it was being retranslated now, would it still be tabernacles? See, you all got it locked in your brain. This can only be called the Feast of Tabernacles. God is unhappy if you don't call this the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, the word says tent, so can he be unhappy if you call it the Feast of Tents? You know? And if you're explaining what it's all about, isn't that going to make him happy too, so that other people can understand what's going on? Verse, verse 16, come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, that was the end of the Battle of Armageddon, there's a few people left after all that, come to Jerusalem to go up from year to year. Okay, we go up to the Feast of Tabernacles year to year, right? To, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when we go up year to year? We're going to worship the King. Who is the King? Jesus. King Jesus. That's what it's all about. We're here worshiping King Jesus. Right? So we could call it the King Jesus Festival. All right. <clears throat> Verse 18. The family of Egypt. Egypt always gets a mention, doesn't it? <laughs> That's all right. We know where Egypt is. We're never in any confusion as to where Egypt is on the map. If they will not come up travel to the festival and enter in. Enter into what? Enter, enter into the festivities. Enter into the program. Enter it. Get involved. Right? Then no rain and they'll get hungry and they'll think about coming the next year. Verse 19, those who do not come to the Feast of Tabernacles. So God is going to cause punishment on people who do not bother to come. Right? Now I don't like punishment. And I love the Feast of Tabernacles. So if you said, we're not going to let you go to the Feast of Tabernacles next year, I'd slip out the back door while they weren't looking. And I would get there somehow. God wants people, all peoples, spiritually rejoicing in King Jesus. Now, lots of people rejoice in Jesus. They just miss out on the king part, and they miss out on the where's the king going to reign from, Jerusalem, not heaven and above, but Jerusalem, right? and his, you know, we, we rejoicing in his part in our salvation. He is the key factor. Acts 13, 22, he raised David, King David, and he said, I found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. If you want to be a man or woman after God's heart, this is what you need to look at, and you need to study King David and all that King David wrote. Fabulous Psalms. David rejoiced deep in his being. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Now, if this doesn't happen to you during this year, it certainly should be happening at the Feast of Tabernacles. We should be mentally, spiritually setting the Lord before us in our mind's eye. We're not just here vacationing, not just having a good party, party, party time. We're here setting the Lord before us all the time. We're eating before the Lord. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my, my glory rejoices. Does that sound familiar? What's your glory? <laughs> Whatever it is, it's supposed to be rejoicing. So by the end of the feast, you're supposed to know what my glory rejoices means. <laughs> That's a good study for you. Right? And my flesh will rest in hope because he knew he wasn't going to be alive continually all the time. Okay, Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. That's what's happening here. Feast of Tabernacles, the greatest eight-day block of showing us the path of life right here, right now, in, in seven and a half more days. We've already used up half a day pretty much, right? So the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. We should be rejoicing here in the presence of God because this is His doing. This wasn't a man-made deal. Christmas, man-made deal. Easter, man-made deal. Halloween. Don't you love Halloween? Ah, they started earlier every year, pretty soon. Fourth of July, start Halloween. You know, oh, what's the matter with those people? Anyhow, Nehemiah shows great rejoicing, Nehemiah 8.8. 8. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. The more you understand what God is saying, what God is doing, the more excited we should be about where he's taking us. They gave the sense, right? And this is why this crazy Australian is up here telling you that tabernacles is all, not all that helpful. You know what it means. I'm not sure you kids know what it means other than we go someplace and we do fun stuff, right? There's a lot more to that, right? It's the temporary and it's the transition into all eternity, into immortality. They gave the sense, they helped them to understand. 
That's the critical point. If you don't understand what Jesus is planning and doing and saying, okay, if I could transport you, if I knew how to use a smartphone and stuff like that, if I could transport you all up to the throne in heaven and have you walk past the back of the throne in heaven and look over the shoulder of Jesus Christ, what do you think he'd be doing? Is he playing Nintendo? No, he's looking down here at the faces and the people and the thoughts that are going through their minds. He's looking down on all the festival keepers all around the world and he's going, it's not a lot of people, but it's better than nothing. Right? And these are, these are my frontline troops in the world tomorrow. When the millennium begins, this is my frontline troops. I'm excited, I'm thrilled, and he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing spiritually that anybody's still paying attention to Feast of Tabernacles, right? Tense. Okay, so they gave the sense, let's see, they read distinctly from the book of the law, they gave the sense, they helped gave the understanding. Every human being on this planet needs to hear the sense and the understanding of God's truth. Heard on the radio just a little bit ago, you know, a couple of days ago, that, that a guy was, somebody's reading the uh, John 3.16. It flabbergasts me every time I hear somebody read that on the, on the radio. It's like, you know, should not perish. No, they don't say it like that. That's how I say it. Okay, they go, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I go, whoa, back up the track. It says not perish. That's step A, you know. That's choice number one. Or, but, on the other hand, have everlasting life. Two plus billion Jesus-following people are being taught. Don't worry about that. When you are born, you are given immortality. You can never die again. Not according to Scripture. And you will go on living for all eternity, either in heaven or in hell. I guess there'll be none of us in Jerusalem, huh? I mean, you know, they don't bother to follow the text. They don't make the sense out of God's Word. So, Nehemiah 8.17, the whole assembly of those who returned from captivity. Now, if you'd all been in a prison camp last year, and we got you out of prison camp, and we brought you here to rejoice deeply spiritually before God Almighty, would you be a happy bunch of campers like beyond yourself, like jumping with joy? Right? You would be, wouldn't you? And the last part of that verse, and there was very great gladness. Personally, I think that's a British understatement. You know, you know where the Bible is translated, right? King James, right? British understatement. Very great. Come on. It's... it's Super cali isn't that a, an American word? Supercalifragilistic, XBL. A dose. You've all forgotten the word. All right. So, how big is very great gladness? Is it okay? Nobody do this. I'm I'm allowed to do this, but you all can't do this. Please don't do this. Right? It, see, I'm going to go. Is it this big? And that wouldn't work for you because you'd have people poking their eyes out and the glasses flying across the room and you know. So is you know is very great great gladness like this big, this big, this big? No, it's huge. That's deep spiritual rejoicing is what we're about here. Okay, Nehemiah 8:18. He read from the book of the law, and they kept the feast seven days. God shows the, that nature is going to be rejoicing, right? First Chronicles 16:31. Let the heavens rejoice, the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. That's a shadow of things to come. That's what Paul was teaching the Gentiles. It's a shadow of Jesus reigning on planet earth where there's great joy and rejoicing for a thousand years. No more babies being aborted. No more war. No more people being slaughtered. Nobody roadside bombs. None of that stuff, right? And people will come to you and they'll go, I hear back where you live back in those old days, you know, they did terrible things to people. Oh, yeah, we don't do that anymore. We make sure that doesn't happen. Okay, he says, let the sea roar in all the fullness and let the field rejoice in all that's in it. And the trees, next time you're in the forest, look at the trees. The trees of the woods shall rejoice. Whew! 
before the Lord. See, even the tree is going to rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth and to save humanity from self-destruction. I'm about to give up watching the, the Weather Channel. They have all these programs where all humanity and the planet Earth are going to be annihilated and just a bunch of dust floating in the solar system. And it's like, read the book! It doesn't happen that way at all. Don't be scaring all these people. There is no end to the world for at least 1,100 years. Tell them the good news. Don't tell them the bad news. All right, in verse 34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. That's what we're about here. That's what we're doing, rejoicing. For He is good. His mercy endures forever. Verse 35, And say, Save us, O God. That's what we should be saying in our hearts and our minds. That's the transition. Here we are, physical flesh. But, and we can go astray. Anybody here know anybody who used to keep tabernacles and now has gone astray and don't keep tabernacles anymore? Anybody? Among the other one? Two people? Okay, see? There are people who were festival keepers and they found something they think better to do and guess where they will not be during the first resurrection? They will not be in the first resurrection. How can I say that? Paul tells the Galatians, if you practice the wrong stuff, you will not go into the kingdom of God. First resurrection, thousand years of peace and safety. Okay, verse 35, save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather us. Gather us. Anybody here want to be gathered? I am ready to be gathered. If he wanted to gather me right now, I'd go. <laughs> I would go, you know. I want to be gathered up into the clouds to see Jesus, meet him face to face. I love him in the book. I love talking about him and hearing about him. And, and, and I can't wait to meet him face to face and be with him for all eternity. Because, you know, I mean, he's got the right answer for everything. Fantastic. Okay, deliver us from the Gentiles. Give thanks uh, to your holy name and triumph in your praise. So, has anybody noticed? Can anybody tell me what this is? You're a cheater. You weren't supposed to say anything. Anybody else know what this is? All right. You heard what she said. That is, that is a lifesaver. Okay, now if you were drowning out in the ocean, would this save you? No. Give you a clean breath. Give you, yeah. You could die happy. Oh, I got clean breath. And down you go. Right? So how, ca how come in America you make an important word lifesaver into a candy? How come? I don't know. Now, I used to be a lifesaver, me, myself. Yes, I did. A surf lifesaver. And I would stand out on the beach there looking out to sea watching for sharks. Oh, yeah, we chased sharks. Yes, we did. And, and watching for those going glug, 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 glug. You know, we'd swim out there and we'd save their lives, right? So the, the point is <coughs> live, don't die. That's the point of lifesavers is you're there to save lives, not let them die. And God wants all true believers to be active in his life-saving work. 1 Corinthians 7, 16. If you do not know, O wife, whether you will save your husband. There you go, gals. Save your husband. He needs saving, doesn't he? Right? And, O, wife, o husband, that you will save your wife. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Right? Verse in James 5.20, save a soul from death. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is the program. 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing so, in continuing in sound doctrine, you, Timothy, but it applies to all of us, you will save yourself. Anybody like to save yourself into the first resurrection? I, I won't be there twice, right? You know, because that's what it's all about. And he says, and, and save those who pay attention, Timothy, to what you teach. So, so, you know, if we're paying attention to what Jesus is telling us from the scriptures, if, if we're hearing the sense, if we're having things pointed out to us that we didn't understand before, we should be spiritually rejoicing at the Feast of Tabernacles for those of us who have been baptized and have God's Holy Spirit or those who are getting close, we're disciples, we have God's Spirit with us but not yet in us, right? And then there's the younger people who they don't know what we're talking about, right? 
And if, when they turn 18, if you haven't helped them get some idea of what we're talking about, guess what? Psh, they're gone. They're gone. They're off into the world. I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. Jude 1.23, but others save with fear, pulling them, save, save other people, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that, that's spotted. Now, <clears throat> for the next 1,100 years, true believers will be busy saving lives. That's what Jesus has been doing all this time, saving lives. That's what he wants us to be doing. So when we leave this festival, Jesus wants us to be fully equipped and prepared to work in his life-saving harvest. Not this life-saving, in the saving people's lives. Save them from what? Save them from, um, you could save them from dying in World War III. You could save them from uh, being dead for a thousand years until the second resurrection. You could save them into the first resurrection. So, and, and you, oh, that's not me. In fact, the church, the first, first church I started with, I've been in a few churches now, <laughs> sadly. Anyhow, they, they pretty much said, don't worry your head about it. God, when he wants somebody, he'll just go out there and get them. Right? And that's not true. Biblically, that is not true. He won't just go out there and get them. He wants you to go out there and get them. Right? And talk to them and tell them about the fe immortality festival. Tell them about the Worship King Jesus Festival. Tell them about the Battle of Armageddon. They love that. Oh, yeah, tell me about the Battle of Armageddon. Right? Matthew 9, 37 said to his disciples, The harvest is plenteous, plentiful, the laborers are few. Do you think Jesus feels this way at this very second? Up there in heaven. Is he still thinking this same thought? The harvest is plentiful. What does that mean? There's a lot of people who could be helped into Feast of Tabernacles keeping, right? But the problem is very few laborers, right? Okay, verse 38, pray. Do we pray this? I hope all of you pray this. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, his life-saving harvest. We should be praying this and then we should act on this. Okay, I forgot to say, but uh, I've asked somebody to come here that's very special. When you see him, let me know that you've seen him, and we're going to ask him some questions. So, I, actually, it was, he's, a, he's a fire chief, and when you see him, be sure and yell out, because I want to know if he's gotten here yet. And, oh, what? He's here? Oh, chief, could you come and help us, please? Oh, boy, I'm so glad you came. I be speaker. Yes, you came to the right place. It is so good to have you here. Thank you. Looks like you're prepared I and try. ready to go. So how do firefighters learn to save lives? Well, we start out, we do the same thing everybody else does. We go to class. We have a fire academy. We learn about fire. We learn about how to save lives. Hi there. <laughs> Keep talking. I'll stand close. Keep talking, we learn how to save lives. <laughs> we learn about fire. We learn what causes fire. We learn about buildings, how to get into buildings, how to put the fire out if it's in a building because there might be somebody in there and we have to save their lives. We're big on saving lives. We like that. Kids, they can't get out on their own, so we have to be able to get in there and save them. You know, we have to learn how to drive that big red truck. Anybody seen that big red truck? Okay, well, fire we learn truck. how to drive it. Fantastic. Okay. How important is it to maintain your life-saving equipment? Well, that's very important. Think about it. You have a flashlight? How do you have a flashlight? Okay, you keep it by your bedside. Something happens and you get it and you turn it on and it goes... That's not good. You gotta have good batteries in your flashlight. You gotta have a sharp axe. You wanna break through a door? You kinda want it to work when you hit it. You don't wanna bounce back and hit you in the head. Bad day. So, you know, you, you have to keep your tools ready. You have to know how to use them. Your fire hose, run up there and they power that thing up. Tell them you're ready for water. You can usually tell when the water's coming because the hose gets big and it gets heavy. If it don't do that, something's wrong. Oh yeah, I believe that. There, and it's broke and it's flowing water out there. You're not doing any good. So you have to keep it up. The nozzle has to work. 
everything has to work and you have to know how to use it you know how to use it mm -mm. don't know how to use it no. you can't save lives we're big on saving lives you're you can't get there you can't save their life if you can't help them out you're not doing much good so how often do you practice and rehearse your life-saving techniques all the time at all least the time. once a week but yeah Woo. every time we go out on a run we're they call that a run by the way we're practicing driving the truck you're practicing Getting the hose off. You're practicing. Every time you get off that truck, you better not go in that door with nothing in your hand but a radio. Because if you have to do something, you got to run all the way back to the truck. Well, can't save lives like that. So we practice all the time. We have classes at the fire station. Go over it and over it and over it. How to open a roof up. Do it right. How to open a door. Do it right. How to save somebody's life. Do it right. They like that. So you're saying practice, Every rehearse. Day, all the time. Yeah, I love it. Okay, this has been a big help, Chief. Well, we really right. appreciate you stopping by. I'm glad to help. All right, take care. You too. So the, the point is, this is a rehearsal festival. I think I skipped over it, but it's in your notes somewhere. God... <coughs> And, and see, what you all have to remember when you're doing your Bible study is the people that translated from Greek and Hebrew into English weren't keeping Feast of Tabernacles. They weren't keeping Sabbath. And so when they skip over stuff or they simplify stuff, like in Leviticus 23, it says, and, and it took me forever, it seems like. I don't, if they said it when I was sitting in sermons and listening to sermons, I missed it. But, but the first couple of times in Leviticus 23, God Almighty says to Moses, I want you to have the children of Israel learn about my appointments. Now, in your Bibles, it's going to say feasts. The first couple of verses, it's not the word for festival. It's the word for appointment. God made an appointment. Now, if you, if you run into trouble with the law and, and they... Uh, they haul you into court and the judge says, you've got an appointment to be back here in a month on Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Are you going to be there? You're going to be there. Why? Because you respect the judge. Why do you respect the judge? Because he can punish you. He can get inside your wallet and do devastating things to the inside of your wallet. So you're going to be there. Now, if you lived under a king and the king or a queen, if you lived under a queen, if you lived and they made an appointment with you to come see them on such and such a day at such and such a time and you didn't go, what might happen to you? Off with their head, right? At least the way they tell it in the cartoons, right? <laughs> so now, okay, we've just talked about judges and we've talked about kings and queens. What about the creator of the universe who made an appointment for people to come and listen and rehearse and understand what's being taught and, and so on? So, good lifesavers continue learning and practicing and rehearsing all the time, like we heard from the chief. Matthew eleven twenty nine. take my yoke upon you and learn from me, right? This should be our mission. These eight days that we're here are the best eight days in the next year of your life. These are the best eight days for renewing your minds, for getting your mind attached and connected and spiritually rejoicing in the mind of Jesus Christ. Because somewhere in the near future, and we are, okay, coming up the, up the hills in uh, Arkansas, they have wonderful little signs that says, test your brakes. <laughs> what? What? You know, and it says, semi-trailers, pull over here and test your brakes. And then it says, there's an emergency ramp halfway down the mountain. <laughs> if you happen to lose your brakes somewhere on the mountain, that's for you, right? So, so you know, test, test these things. So, I mean, it's a warning, and we are having warnings. If you, if you watch the news this morning, yesterday, if you watch the news tomorrow morning, we are having warnings. Now, what, what you're seeing in the news connects intimately with what's in Scripture. Daniel 11. I'd suggest everybody memorize. 
That's a joke, isn't it? <clears throat> oh, that we had the minds to be able to memorize chapter 11 of Daniel. It's not going to happen, but at least you could study it because, man, it brings it alive. You think Zechariah 14 brings alive the return of Christ, his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, the Battle of Armageddon, the calling of the Egyptians and the Muslims to come visit the Jewish king and the Jewish capital on the Jewish holy days. Woo! It's going to be great, right? <clears throat> you know, so it's, he's focusing us on where we're going in our days ahead. And you, we get choices. We can be there with him in those days ahead, or we can turn aside like sadly lots of people. One time, uh, you might not believe this, some of you, one time the great head of a, the great human head of an organization stood up and said, y'all don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. How many of you would, you would believe that if I said that? Nobody. Good. Terrific. Then he said, you don't have to keep Feast of Tabernacles anymore. What? What? What about all these scriptures? Don't worry. Be happy. No. Rejoice deeply, spiritually. Don't be doing that fish thing, you know. Who wants to be happy like a fish, right? You want to be spiritually happy like Jesus is teaching us. Okay, all year long we need to be rehearsing and practicing what we've learned during this festival, these seven and a half days. Oh, seven and a quarter days. Whew, time goes fast, doesn't it? Okay, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things. You're going to hear some true stuff here. And you know, you can prove it's true by studying your Bible. It's true. It's in the book. And Jesus, God the Father, had it written, you know, a lot of it 2,000 years ago, a lot of it way earlier than that, right? Whatever's noble, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good report, whatever has virtue is praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. Meditate deeply, spiritually. Drink it in because this is the best eight days to do it. When you get back into the world, you're going to be busy. Facebook, all of you on, how many of you on Facebook? How many, any, ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm told I have a Facebook thing. <laughs> I've never been there. I've never seen my face there. I, I just, here I'm there. Anyhow, Philippians 4.9, the things you have learned, right, and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. And, and, and I hear Christian radio all the time. It says, do anything, you know, Jesus does it all for you. No, he doesn't. Scripturally, he does not do it all for you. He doesn't go to the Feast of Tabernacles for you. You have to do that. You have to take your children, your grandchildren, and so on. Philippians 4.10. For I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. <laughs> Sounded like a British understatement to me. No offense to my good buddy from Britain, from the great, what, what do they call that? Um, I forgot what they call it. The, the Great British Empire. The sun used to never set on the Great British Empire. And, and God put them there. And then they decided on other things, and guess they're not there now, are they? And how America, this is always an amazing thing to me, how can a bunch of farmers with, with uh, you know, muzzle-loading rifles in the hills of Arkansas and Tennessee and Branson, how can they overthrow, defeat, stop the superpower of the world? They did it, didn't they? They did it with God's help. They did it twice because the British weren't satisfied the first time. They had to come back in 1812 and they burned half of the White House and they then it rained. Oh, it's a great story. Uh, Weather Channel. You've got to watch the Weather Channel. Was, they were burning the White House and a hurricane, a tornado, it wasn't a hurricane, tornado came up and it rained like crazy and it blew all the soldiers. They were out in the field. It blew them all over the place and it put the fire out in the Oval Office. Well, where, you know, um, the White House. And, and uh, you know, after that, the war changed. And it's, you know, it's, it's still the United States. It's very different than it used to be 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. Very different. But that's where we're headed. That's what we're doing. We're rehearsing where we're going, right? And very few people got any idea where we're going. We're going to Zechariah chapter 14. We're going to Daniel chapter 11. 
And, and, and if you read carefully in chapter, chapter 11 of Daniel, we are already there. We have passed some of Daniel 11 already, but that's for another time. Okay, Philippians 4.10, but I received, I rejoiced, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. British understatement. <laughs> Matthew, I love you, wherever you are. <laughs> yes, anyhow, we'll, yes, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, that's right, there you go. See, Matthew is good, right? <clears throat> but anyhow, I love, I love the United States. And because you notice Australia never tried to attack the, Australia, uh, the United States. Do you notice that? They're very smart people down there. Very smart. Our rowboats just wouldn't make the trip. But anyhow, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, he says. That's what he wants of us. Paul rejoiced greatly in his harvest work for God. He was into it. He was deep into it. He was rejoicing in it. God thinks of us as his life-saving soldiers. Right? Now, some people don't like soldiering, the idea of soldiering a war. There's going to be no more war after the Battle of Armageddon. But here it is in Scripture. So if it's in Scripture, God wants us to have a little bit of it. Philippians 2.25, he says, My brother, fellow soldier, to Timothy 2.3, he says, You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier. And some of you have done that in the last 365 days. You have endured hardship as a good soldier. Now, might next 365 days be a little tougher than the last? Highly likely, highly probable the way things are shaping up. 2 Timothy 2.4 No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please. I want to please Jesus. Now, yeah, that's self-serving, isn't it? Ah, right? Jesus created the universe. Jesus has got pleasures forevermore to give. Jesus has immortal bodies to give us, right? And somebody said, uh, I hope they're not here, but anyhow, somebody said, how do you know an immortal body can fly? What? I always dreamed of flying. He said, it's not in Scripture. I thought, Oh, boy. So how are we going to get around? The angels of Carius. Uh, how many of you want a better than angel body? All right? Now, I'd be happy with an angel body, but guess what? Angels got wings, right? I am ready to fly through the solar system as soon as God lets me off. You know? Surely we'll have some R&R, &R, right? Surely. All right. So, um, fellow soldier, all right, that we may please him who enlisted us as a soldier. How many of you feel like Jesus has enlisted you to be a soldier? One, two, three. Okay, I'm going to ask this at the end of the feast. I hope to see a lot more hands going up, okay? All right, so we need to be mindful of pleasing King Jesus. That is the point of these fabulous eight days to learn all we can about Jesus and his teaching. So all Bible teachers should be equipping the saints. We see that in Ephesians 4.12, 4.13. It says, for the work of ministry, service. Greek word, service, ministry, right? Um, never mind. Min you know, ministry is an old, old English word. It's like, anybody here want to retranslate the Bible into American for us? That would be so wonderful. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now, how much unity of the faith are we having across the planet in the churches of God? We need more unity of the faith. How do we get it? Well, first of all, we gather together at the Feast of Tabernacles and agree that King Jesus is working a transition plan of salvation. Right? Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him Christ. We are here to grow into Jesus Christ. He wants us well prepared for the days ahead. And, and I can't tell you, I don't have a clue, whether you're going to have one more Feast of Tabernacles or two more Feast of Tabernacles or three. I don't know. I don't know. But I am not counting on another five just like the ones five, the last five. Right? Because we, I mean, America has turned, turned into a totally different direction. So the daily sacrifices are as we speak. 
preparing and ready to begin. They started a college not long ago to teach people what to do for morning and evening sacrifices. So who cares? Well, <laughs> if you're reading through Daniel 11, it says the abomination of desolation is set up immediately after the sacrifices are done away with. They're stopped. So when you see morning and evening sacrifices begin in Jerusalem in the holy place, ooh, it's coming, right? And then you know what you're supposed to do? If you're in Jerusalem or Judea and you see the abomination of desolation set up in the holy place, no going into your houses to make a bread and butter, peanut butter jelly and sandwich. You have, to, you have to go, flee to the mountains immediately because that's Jesus' way of saying you kind of left it too late. You are down to minutes. If you do not leave the city and go up into the mountains in the next few little bit, half an hour, hour, two hours, whatever, you stand the chance of being caught in the attack against the Israeli people who up to this point have been very successful at, at warding off attacks against them. Bible says... When this attack comes, a lot of them die, a lot of them go into captivity around the world, and when Jesus lands back on the planet and after the battle of Armageddon, he gathers those still living Israelites back into the land of Israel, Ezekiel 37. Okay, Daniel 11:31. forces shall be mustered by him and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress, they shall take away the daily sacrifices. Well, that ain't gonna happen in our lifetime. Go visit Jerusalem. They are preparing the people. They have already prepared all the vessels. They are set and ready to go if the government will just give them permission to do it. Right? And if they do, there's going to be war in the Middle East because all the Muslims will not stand for the Jewish people worshipping up there next to the, uh, the Islamic mosque. Verse 32 of Daniel 11. Those who do wickedly against the covenant. He shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God, Jesus, soldiers, festival keepers. Now, here's a really good something for you to study if you've got a few minutes. How do you know you know Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it? Good question. And it's a very important question, because if you think you know Jesus and you don't really know Jesus, problem. If you know that you know that you know that you know, know that you know, right? That you know Jesus by scripture. And you keep praying, God, if I'm reading this scripture wrong, please help me get it straight. But there's just mountains of scriptures all pointing in the same direction, right? The people who know their God, that Jesus soldiers shall be strong. Won't that be great? Have a bunch of strong feast goers. And there are some of you here right now today, I know, because I've been, I've been checking you out, not on Facebook, but through, through I, we Australians, we have other means of checking out things, right? You'll be strong and it will carry out great exploits. Whatever that is, I want a piece of the action, right? And then verse 33, those of the people who understand, remember the Feast of Tabernacles back in Nehemiah's day? They help the people understand how this thing comes together, where the future leads, not just for the United States of America, not just for Egypt, not just for each and every nation on the planet Earth, but where your personal future leads based on whether or not you stay faithful as a true soldier of Jesus Christ. So the people who understand shall instruct many. <coughs> Can we see this in vision? Can we picture an explosion of Church of God people? It's hard, isn't it? Right? it it's, it's there. It's in Scripture. You just got to read the book and say, look, it's right there. It's going to happen. It will happen. God said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Right? But, oh boy, we are not making a lot of progress at this current moment. Right? But, Two witnesses get on TV and they start doing miracles, right? Garner Ted and Herbert Armstrong did not, to my knowledge, do a lot of miracles on TV. Now, had they done that, church would have been a lot bigger, a lot quicker. 
right? People like miracles. Yes, they do, right? So two witnesses will be doing miracles. And, and their favorite miracle is whoever tries to kill them gets killed. That's pretty serious business, right there? Especially for the person trying to kill them. Because guess what happens to them? Dead. Right? So, and, and I imagine after a couple of weeks, month or two, it'll be like, okay, we need another volunteer to go kill the two witnesses. <laughs> Everybody step forward. Back one step. Right? Nobody wants to. Why? Because they're now believers. They believe that anybody who tries to kill the two witnesses, dead. Right? So, now, when they start preaching Feast of Tabernacles, trans, you know, Festival of uh, Transition, when they start pe preaching the Festival of Immortality, right, they will make it plain and clear. They've got three and a half years. They've got to get this out clear. This is the witness, the final witness to mankind. They will get it out. And, and it says, like we just read in Daniel 11, there's going to be great exploits. There's going to be those people who know and understand and have opportunity to teach lots of folks most of us go, well, I can't teach nobody nothing. Wrong. You already know gigantic amounts of information. You know there is a book of Zechariah in the Bible. And you could find it pretty quick. And then you could find chapter 14. And you could say, look here, feet stand on Mount of Olives. Look here. This refers to the Battle of Armageddon over there in Revelation. Look here. This is, this is Feast of Tabernacle. Tabernacles. What's a tabernacle? You can explain that. Right? And then people can come to understand it and get excited. And a lot of people could be in the first resurrection. And some people don't like that. Wait a minute. I've been laboring in God's church for 40 years. And, and these people come along and in six months, poof, they're, into the, they're right there in the first resurrection. Hallelujah. Every single person that repents... There's joy in heaven. There should be great joy down here at every single person. God wants lots of people in his family and in his kingdom, and we should too. So Daniel 11 will be our world in the near future. In fact, if you come to the Bible study on Egypt's war, you'll, I'll point out to you that, that you know, some of Daniel is already history. It's past. And we're about, we're, we're coming right up to the brink of the next major development. But that's for another time, right? So our world in the near future, our question for us all here today is, will be, we be equipped and ready? Fire chief here, I hope he got across to you clearly that he is equipped and ready. What he didn't tell you, I find this tremendously interesting. And I am going to check this out on Facebook or on smartphone or on something somehow. Maybe on the Weather Channel. Who knows? Right? <clears throat> that he, when he's sleeping in his bed in the middle of the night in the firehouse, right? The bell rings or whatever happens, right? They hit him with a taser, however they do that, right? And guess how many minutes, some of you who know, shush, guess how many minutes before he is on the fire truck? Guess. One minute. Well, he slept on the fire truck? What, what was that back there? Three minutes? Three minutes. Knowledgeable person back there. But she understands. Two minutes. Two minutes, I am told, from the time the bell rings and they wake up and they're on the truck. That I got to see. I am going to go down the fire station. I'm going to see that. I'm just going to sit there all night long waiting for the bell to ring, you know. Is it going to ring anytime soon? I hope I can't stay. I can't stay awake. You know, as soon as I fall sound asleep, the bell will ring. And I'll just, oh, well, that's life. So Jesus says, rejoice and leap for joy. Now, please, please consult with your medical person before you try any of this. Right? In my younger days, I would leap for joy and all that stuff without a thought, right? But now when I'm going down steep stairways, I do not leap for joy. I take it very slowly and carefully. But here in Luke 6.23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Is that one of, is that this much rejoicing? Or is that like, that's big, isn't it? That's leap for joy. Rejoice and leap for joy. Because your reward from heaven, you're gonna, Jesus is coming back from heaven to reward us here on planet Earth. Your reward is great in heaven. Great 
joy and rejoicing occur in heaven at each one that is baptized. We, we talked about that, right? So may we all deeply be mindful of learning God's ways this festival and be eager to go back into the harvest at the end of seven and one-eighth days. Boy, it goes fast, doesn't it? Woo! Okay. At the end of that seven and a half days, we'll be ready to go back into the harvest as God's great life-saving soldiers to please our Lord and Savior, Master Jesus Christ. Okay, I have planned for all of you to read the last of my notes here to finish out this sermon today. So if you would please stand and turn in your hymnals. I hope you have hymnals. Maybe you don't have hymnals. Never mind. We're in the 21st century. We have projection screens. All right, turn in your projection screen, please, to page number 155. See, right there it says, and begin singing with us when the music starts, Onward Christian Soldiers. <laughs>